Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, my guest today, uh, he's a professor at Duke University. His name is Ronald Levin. We're going to talk about uh, economics, emerging markets, and foreign markets. So, Ron, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Fine. And thank you for uh, inviting me to this, uh, particularly since I've never described myself as a genius. So this is uh, a rare, rare opportunity. <laughs> well, yeah, I wanted to uh, to have you and other economists on because I've been puzzling a lot about what you know the current you know coronavirus issue is doing to the world market, mm-hmm. the domestic market, and everything. So I wanted to hear your thoughts economically and what you think is going to happen over the next six months or a year. Um, to, to be totally honest, I think anybody who thinks they have a clue about what's going to happen over the next two years is delusional. Um, we're in very unprecedented times. They are unprecedented, unprecedented in terms of the kind of government response we're seeing to economic events right now, uh, unprecedented levels of money, money creation, unprecedented act markets that the Fed is intervening in, uh, unprecedented levels of government spending. Uh, and on top of that, we really at best have an inkling of how long COVID-19 uh, is going to be with us as a factor driving the markets. I mean, I, I, I think realistically, we're probably looking at the end of next year before we can have a vaccine that's been proven and is widely available. Um, but it, we don't know. I mean, that's kind of the best case scenario, which means best case scenario is still going to be a factor with us for a long time and could be longer. Um, now, that said, you know, that again, with this caveat that it's very, very difficult to make any kinds of um, views on the future, um, I think the next three to six month horizon is going to be going to tell us a lot about the longer term. And, and it's really not the presidential elections, while maybe important for some factors, I think this is not going to have a huge uh, bearing on where we're headed for the next year, year or two. To me, the big question is whether or not we are in on the cusp of seeing a second wave of layoffs um, at a high level, which there's some evidence that that's starting to happen. Um, together with what happens with the extension of the unemployment benefits, um, because we have the potential uh, over the next couple of months to see massive rise in unemployment, um, but without the support that was there. So that could also then feed into massive um, homelessness, people getting evicted. And I, I, I really don't even want to think about what that could, it's such a gloomy outlook and I don't even like thinking about it, much less really have a sort of priors that I can look at for where that's 
going to send us economically and politically. Now, hopefully, again, we're going to, COVID's not going away. So hopefully we do continue to get some level of government support um, and somehow manage to continue muddling through. So the economy doesn't do great. Unemployment sort of stays yeah. on the high level, but, but we don't, um, we don't have catastrophe. Uh, I think the one, the one downturn, you had a question? Yeah, I mean, if, if we take it maybe piece by piece, um, okay. like the stimulus, you know, it's trillions. Do you think that, uh, I would think that it would have to result in inflation at some point. Like if we just start with that, what do you think the effect of the stimulus will be on inflation? When do you think that might hit? Uh, I do think actually, I've been an inflation bear for 20 years. This is the first, and, and this is the first time in 20 years that I think that inflation is a real risk um, because I think you potentially have the conjunction of on one hand, an artificial maintenance of demand levels through the stimulus. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we're seeing supply constraints because of supply chain disruption. And that, that's, that, that's the mismatch between an excess, a, a persistent excess demand in the face of unresponsive supply. That's what makes for inflation. So it's something we haven't seen for the last 20 years. But I do think there is a good chance we are going to see some inflation, probably not, probably at least a year away. I would guess it's it, 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 probably the second half of next year into the following year. And this, the main thing that's going to delay it, and I think ultimately we're not going to see huge inflation, maybe four or 5% at worst, because underneath this economic activity is going to continue to be pretty, pretty soft. Uh, and... So I don't think, I think we'll see a pickup in inflation, but it's not going to be, a hyper hyperinflation is not a risk. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, if there is inflation, I guess the Fed has plenty of room to raise interest rates. But um, if inflation hits, do you think that the Fed will respond that way or they'll be gun shy about it? Um, I, they, I think they will be very gun shy about it. We do have some room for inflation to go up before we really start challenging their targets anyway. Um, and I think they know in the long run that even if inflation were to move above, and they've actually started changing their their wordage to make it within their realm that they can tolerate a temporary uh, movement, movement inflation temporarily above their target band. So I think they will be very slow to raise interest rates, again, which is a reason why, at least for a while, inflation is likely to get higher than we've seen in a long time. And in terms of um, well, jobs, is probably a much harder picture, but um, it looks like the jobs reported, the unemployment's not nearly as bad as perhaps people predicted, but there are hidden problems in there. Is the type of employment right now not a very good or stable kind? Like, what's your picture on it right now? Um, you know, again, it's very, again, that's where my concern is. I, I suspect we are going to start seeing a, a, a pretty significant upturn in inflation and in unemployment again over the next starting is starting to show up now, um, between now and the end of the year. Hard to predict. And again, it depends a lot on what government policy is. Longer run, I think there's a, there, there's a, uns, a sort of a hidden danger here. Um, the danger, it's kind of danger we saw in Japan when the, in, in the, I guess, roughly 20 years ago, 
uh, when in the, in the wake of the, their financial crisis, the Bank of Japan uh, put in very easy monetary policy and the government was very, very aggressive with fiscal stimulus. And the result was a lot of zombie companies. Uh, companies, when interest rates are super low and the government is out there providing support, you have a lot of companies that should go out of business, but manage to keep kind of crawling along on the basis of this very, very cheap financing. Um, and that ties up. That's one of the reasons Japan has been had so poor growth and productivity uh, over the last 20 years is because they have all these zombie companies that are tying up capital and preventing the the economy from evolving and and de- develop developing a more dynamic environment, and I think that's a very serious risk of the economic the consequence of the economic policies that are being put in place now. So we may avoid the muddle. We may avoid the main downturn, that sort of d- disaster scenario. I was saying was muddled through, but the byproduct of that could be many many years of very weak growth and very poor productivity gains because of this zombie zombie company effect. Yeah, what, what is a zombie company? A, a, a zombie company is a company which isn't really viable anymore, um, that should, should go out of business, but because they can borrow, in, borrow at virtually zero interest rate, and they're getting s- some degree of support from the government through government purchases of their products, or other tax incentives, et cetera, that they're sort of able to hang on and continue to function even though they're not um, really viable businesses. The other thing that causes zombie companies is think about if you're a bank and interest rates are zero or close to zero, you look at a company you've loaned money out to, you say there's there's very little chance this company is going to survive. But if I foreclose, and I, I pull back my money, what am I going to do with it? Lend it out as zero. So even if there's a minuscule probability this company is ever going to be viable, I have no incentive to call them in default. And again, the byproduct of this is these companies, capital is tied up in these companies, resources are being tied up and being used in ways that are very non-productive and inefficient. And I guess the people that are not you know, uh, privy to the financials of those companies, I don't know, like in the marketplace, do they dampen competition? Do they create like an unfairly competitive environment? They do dampen competition because they are functioning. Um, they also, the, the big byproduct, the big products, again, is that they um, tie up capital. So because the banks, again, are sitting there with balance sheets and they're lending against their balance sheet. But to the degree they have funds tied up in these zombie companies, they can't, it, it it impedes the amount of money that they can lend out. And so you get a companies that would like to start up, they have great ideas, but they go, they, they can't get the financing to do so because the capital's not not there. It's, it's again, tied up. So uh, in places like Japan, are there like entire zombie industries or does it tend to be just one or two players in a market? Um, it's, it used to be, I mean, we've gone through this for 20 years and they've evolved It's not as, severe as it once was, um, but you did have entire industries that were effectively zombie industries. Part of that is also though, it, it's a little, it, Japan and the US are different countries. Japan has a history, a much stronger history of, indus, of, of industrial policy. So the government really going back to World War II in Japan 
had had a much more targeted had a policy of targeting um, support for specific industries and 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 placing less emphasis on other industries where they sort of saw saw uh, opportunities for the country. Um, so as a consequence, the whole inter interplay between the government and companies is much they're much stronger link at a micro level in Japan than is true in the United States. And so this compounded the zombie problem again, because Japan was kind of targeting interest, industries to begin with, you ended up with entire industries that were essentially populated by zombies. I think that's less, in the US, it's, it's more likely to emerge as individual companies and less so broad industry. I guess uh, politically, like you know, having a zombie industry is, is more palatable than being nationalized by the government, right? The government taking a stake. Well, uh, that's hard. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> those, those, those are nine of those are very good choices. Um, you know, it depends. Um, it, a government nationalization could be the better solution if the result of the if the government nationalization then or results in a reorganization and a respinning out into it a reorganized, revitalized private company that's spun back out to the the uh, uh, the public. But if it's a question of zombie companies versus permanent nationalization, then yeah, that's that's kind of becomes it's it would be worse. You know, why do you think? Um, you know, on another note, why do you think the stock market is so high and the housing market is so so busy? I mean, do you think that the, the reforces that will be dragging them down over the next year is what do you think that they're so high right now? Well, the the, the stock market is the, one of my pet peeves. People a lot of times talk about the stock market being high. For the last five, four, three, four years, people have keep kept saying the stock market's high. The stock stock prices are expensive, but expensive only makes sense compared to something else. Um, and yes, stocks have for most of the last. Three four years, stock prices have been high relative to historical levels. Um, if you if, if you measure price by like price earnings ratio, um, although they're not like they're at the high end, but they're not like exaggerated. They're not like where we, where you'd normally be in true bubble territory. But if you compare where stock prices have been for the last three or four years versus what are historically low bond yields, stock price the the dividend yield, and actually right now, dividend yield in the stock market relative to where the twenty, the ten-year bond rate is, stocks are kind of cheap. Um, the dividend yield in stocks is high relative to bonds by historical standards. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So you know that's part of the reason why stocks are prices are so high because bond prices are so high. Um, that's reason number one. Reason number two is that there's actually the indices are uh, misleading right now. There is record levels of skewness within performances of companies in the S&P 500 and between the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. And essentially what you have is a few companies like Netflix, um, Apple, who are have a Tesla that are having their massive rallies offsetting a lot a lot more companies like United or um, the airlines generally um, 
brick and mortar retail that are still way, way below their prices at the beginning of the year. So the, that, the, the recovery of the indices to pre-COVID levels highs was still there's a lot of vulnerability in the market. Um, the third factor is, is the Fed is out there buying everything. They're buying assets like crazy. And so they're helping buoy prices. And the fourth thing, and I think looking to the future, the most, you know, probably what the, the one thing that could change is I do think that the stock market is essentially priced for that muddle through environment. It's, it's looking long term. It's kind of looking, okay, the next year or two, it's going to be kind of like it is now, slow growth. And we'll just, but ultimately we'll get past this. And then Netflix is going to be, in the meantime, is now in everybody's household. You know, and, and that's where I think the risk is that we do get a second wave of unemployment. We do start seeing sharp declines in consumption as that unemployment emerges and support from the government fades out. And it, it, that, that it, so in the second half of this year, in the fourth quarter into the first quarter of next year, I think you have a potential for a significant pullback again in the stock market, not a crash. Um, we're not going to see a crash. It's very unlikely we're see a. The only way we get a real crash is if uh, is if the real estate sector gets so bad that the banks' balance sheets start becoming compromised, and the banks have to start uh, trimming their asset books. Well, I mean, I guess I see a shift in the economic dynamic of the states. Some states seem to be, uh, you know, moving forward. Some not. So. You know, the big cities where like a lot of the financial things are happening, seems that, you know, there seems to be an exodus and then uh, other places seem to be growing and things are going more virtual. And do you see like a big shift in the dynamic of where the, the, the money is and where the wealth are and where the jobs are in the U.S.? Uh, absolutely. And that, there are two things. One is you asked about real estate and real estate is, is, is it's several things going on. One is, again, you know, people are set real estate relative to stocks and bonds is kind of cheap, particularly with with mortgage rates as low as they are. Um, so you're seeing some buoyancy in real estate as a byproduct of the, the high valuation in other asset markets. Um, and you're seeing relocate people are leaving cities and moving to the suburbs. And so it's it's um, certain on a regional basis, you're seeing certain real estate markets being particularly strong. Um, I, this also, though, this broader sectoral shift comes back to this notion of the problem of the zombie companies. Um, we are seeing shifts in behavior, shifts in demand. Yeah, that's what markets are about. And as that happens, that dynamic, it's sort of the Schumpeter concept of market dynamics says that failure is important. Companies have to be allowed to fail in order for the new companies, the new for the in order to facilitate the shifts in demand and for and and uh, you you need this dynamic of failure and launch and failure and launch um, and so yes we are seeing all kinds of changes in behavior locations of businesses um, and to a degree the government policies in place that are trying to keep us in support are at the same time creating resistance to the economy dynamically adjusting to these shifts. So do you think any any short-term bounces or changes to the end of this year, or it's gonna take longer than that for any major things to evolve or change? I think it will take, it's hard for me to see anything 
really positive. Again, the best case, I, so I'm not very um, optimistic in stocks prices going much higher from here. Um, I don't, I, I think we're more likely to see bad news than good news. So the best case scenario to me is that, well, I take that back. If somehow we come up with that there is a, there is a, a, uh, a cure for COVID is announced that people is believe, unlike the Russian cure is something that actually seems seems credible. That would be a big, big, then the market is gonna surge. Um, I, everything I know is that again, we're probably looking at the first quarter next year before you have time for the studies to be, the, 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 the third level studies to be completed to a level where we have a, a confident cure, confident, a cure with confidence, but um, it, whenever that happens, we'll see a big surge in the market. Well, if that doesn't happen, do you think that there'll just be a, uh, people getting used to the situation and things will improve or continue anyway? Or yeah. Do you think anything that happens will be hampered unless there's uh, that? Uh, it will, we will adjust. To, we are to a degree adjusting already. I mean, we're learning what we're increasingly becoming more uh, attuned to what is dangerous behavior and what kinds of behavior is tolerable, to, has tolerably, tolerable risk associated gradually will get herd immunity. Um, also, what we are already seeing, the development of um, treatments to make it less deadly. So all the things gradually, even in the absence of a virus, gradually it will, it will market will adjust. But, it, but also something to keep in mind, about this as we go forward um, is that the market tends to have 2020 vision in the rearview mirror. Um, and so we went through, we, looking forward, nobody, I mean, we've been talking for years about the, there was the theoretical possibility of an event like COVID-19 happening. And, but nobody really seriously put it into their planning. I certainly didn't. Uh, if you look if you look at my forecasts at the be what I was saying about the economy at the beginning of this year, they all they look pretty pretty stupid now because I had didn't imagine that something like this could happen. Um, but now that it has happened, so even let's say we get a, a a a workable vaccine gets comes out of the market early next year is in wide spread uh, widespread use by the end of next year. So basically, COVID nineteen is over. Again, 2020 vision in the high, right rearview mirror. Everybody then is going to be, will say, "Okay, COVID 19 is over." But what we now know this can happen. I have to put it into my my planning in the for the future that we could get COVID 20. And so every, behavior is going to be permanently changed, even once this is all behind us. Uh, and it'll change in ways that I don't think will ever. It'll be a long, long time before people will be able, willing to live or work in the levels of density that we were operating in before all this happened. Uh, so it's going to have permanent effects on the way we do business and the way and where we live. So what, what's been your current major area of research until this stuff happened? Has it overtaken it or you're still doing what you normally do? Um, well, I still do what I normally do because my major, basically I go month, in, in terms of the research work I do, I go month to month. So I'm, 
because I write, I do mark, write market newsletter. And I say, yeah, every month I have to sort of say what's, what's the big issue in the month right now. And what, what does that mean? You know, what, you know, how do I assess that issue? Um, you know, at the moment um, I'm focusing on the presidential, even though I don't think in the, in the grand, well, I shouldn't say that the, the presidential election does mean something in the generals, in the grant, sort of the grant, the um, general economic performance will have very different macro policies, probably depending on who controls, who's controlling Washington. But it it really plays out. That's something that plays out over years. Um, but nonetheless, um, I am going to be looking. I'm looking right now at sort of presidential elections and market impacts, and that that's really my main focus at the moment. Okay. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work and uh, your thoughts and, you know, subscribe to your newsletter? Um, the, the name of my newsletter is called Market Voice. It's it's something I developed. I, you may have seen from my bio, I worked for some years at um, Thomson Reuters, and I developed this newsletter when I was at Thomson Reuters and as a monthly newsletter. Um, it became the most widely read publication that they generated. Um, so when I left Thomson Reuters, they asked me if I would continue writing it on a, you know, the, and I said, well, yeah, sure, if you'll pay me. So <laughs> they still pay me and I still write it. It's now though, um, uh, it's uh, Tom, the, Tom, there was a reorganization. There's another company called Refinitiv that now owns the section sec, section of Tom's what I was the section of Tom's Reuters that was responsible for the newsletter. So it's now generated by Refinitiv. Um, they control the uh, distribution, but I guess the best way I, I post it to my my LinkedIn site. So that's the best way. Either either if you're a Refinitiv customer, um, including the product the, the product icon, uh, then you can contact them and they'll. Put you on the distribution list for it. Otherwise, uh, if you request access to my LinkedIn site, you can get the newsletter through there. Okay, very good. Well, Ron, thanks for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. Okay, no, again, I, this, this was an honor and a, a, a great pleasure for me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.